This podcast is produced by The Brand is Female. Tanse, hello, and welcome back to the Matriarch Movement Podcast. I am your host, Shayla Olette Stonechild, and I'm very honored and humbled to have this conversation with Karina Emmerich. She is a designer and artist and founder of the small, slow fashion clothing line called Emmy, which is based in occupied territories of Lunape Hoking, also known as New York City. She is from the Coast Salish Territory, the Puyallup tribe on her father's side, and she has a strong focus on social and climate justice and she speaks out frequently about industry responsibility and accountability. She works actively to expose and dismantle systems of oppression and challenge colonial ways of thinking. So she also is on the board of directors for the Slow Factory Foundation and is a speaker and a panelist at sustainable events and global conferences discussing slow fashion, sustainability, dismantling white supremacy, environmental racism, sovereignty, climate and social justice, and combating systemic racism. And I feel like this conversation is very needed not only for the collective but it was also very needed for myself i've been curious to know ways that i can actually create change through the daily actions within my own purchases and who i'm supporting uh, when it comes to designers and in the fashion industry so i'm very excited to have this episode and i hope you enjoy it this week's episode of matriarch movement is brought to you by our partners at louvre design Louvre is a socially responsible fashion retailer and manufacturer specializing in sustainable women's clothing with all pieces made and designed right here in Canada. You know, I support women like it's my day job and Louvre is 100% female owned and female led, which is an A plus in my books. Finding sustainable clothing that doesn't break the bank is literally not easy, but Louvre has set out to change that. Even better, you can be sure that everyone Louvre works with are getting fair wages and we know how important it is to bridge the gender wage gap. All the clothing is as comfortable as your yoga gear but chic enough to wear on your next Zoom call with modern staples and playful prints that you'll literally want to wear every single day. Check out Louvre for yourself at louvedesign.com. That's L-O-U-V-E design.com. And get free shipping on your next order with the code Shayla Shipping, all one word, at checkout. Thank you so much for being here today. And if you want to just introduce yourself, anything that I may not have mentioned. So, Hasla Hill, Tual Gwalapu. I am Puyallup um, and white, and uh, I actually live now in Brooklyn, New York, on occupied Canarsie territories, which is in greater Lenape Hoking. Um, and I've been a guest here on this territory now for about 12 years, um, which is which is wild to think about because I'm I'm almost heading into I'm I'm 35 turning 36. So I'm almost heading into this being the longest place that I've lived, which is really weird. Um, you know, and my dad tells me every day it's time to come home. But anyways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So where did you actually grow up? Yeah, so I grew up, I actually grew up in Oregon. Um, my whole family's mm. from like Pierce County, Washington on my father's side. Um, 
So my father's uh, native, my mother is white. Um, so I grew up uh, in Oregon and um, went to college in Portland, Oregon, and then moved here. So what did you um, take in college? Did you go to like fashion school or how did that happen? Yeah, I went, I went to the Art Institute in Portland, which is um, no longer uh, an institution. So I want my money back. <laughs> um, no, but you know, art school is a, art school is an interesting thing. I think, I think once I got older and decided that, um, I was going to stop doing things the way that I was told and doing them the way that I wanted to, uh, is when I really kind of started taking off and believing in myself. Um, mm. yeah. And so has your vision always been to be in the fashion industry or was that something just that you, you know, were inspired by through art school? Yeah. My dad, uh, was actually an art teacher when I was growing up. And so in the summers I would spend with him and he would, um, you know, trick us into learning about art by doing all these fun projects and stuff. And, uh, so I, I just, we would, we would make art all the time. I mean, our whole family was creative. My mom loves writing. Uh, my stepmom was an incredible artist as well, a literature and drama teacher. So it's always been a big part of my upbringing uh, to be involved in, in the art world. Um, and clothing is something that I always really resonated with. Um, I think when I, was, when I was young, I was so obsessed with like how I presented myself and the way that I dressed. Mm. Um, and, and I always knew I wanted to be a clothing designer, probably from the time I was like in eighth grade. And it's funny cause I say, I say, you know, I knew I wanted to be an artist and then my child mm -hmm. brain was like, Oh, how can you make money doing that? And I was like, Oh, I'll mm. be a fashion designer. Cause I looked at these magazines and little did I know it's not the best path to <laughs> be financially stable. Um, you know, but we're getting there. <laughs> that That is amazing. I mean, for me, I, to like keep a vision ever since you were eight, did you say you're eight years old? Like, like in eighth grade. Yeah. Eighth grade. Eighth yeah. grade. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because for me, like I had no idea what I wanted to do when I was in eighth, eighth grade. Like I knew I wanted to be an artist, but I didn't know how that was actually going to present itself. Uh, what was your experience like being in art school? Um, it you know what's really it was really interesting and i think my my mom and i just had this conversation the other day um i never understood why people would skip class and uh i would say it was like throwing money away in the trash can because it was such a privilege for me to be able to go to school and i was the first one um to get a degree in my family um out of me and my sisters i guess so um you know, my dad went back to get his master's degree um, and became a counselor. Education was always something that was really important to us. So in that aspect, it was it was really um, nice. But I would get in trouble a lot because I would I pushed the boundaries a lot. Um, and uh, I think I've been doing that ever since. You know, so many people continually tell me um, you should be less political. You should be less political. Mm. You'll be more successful. And and I can't um, unmarry those parts of me. Mm -hmm. um, and that is now, which is so interesting in, in what felt like a decades long failure of mm -hmm. my work and what I was doing now has put me at the forefront of a lot of the conversations that are finally being had within the fashion industry. Um, so I'm so grateful for my conviction to stay true to myself and to stay authentic. Um, 
that yeah. that was gonna be my other question is like how do you remain rooted when I feel like the fashion industry for a long time I just didn't feel connected to it at all because I didn't feel represented in any of the designs in any of the campaigns and so how did you remain uh, rooted to you know your identity as an indigenous woman when you were going through fashion school yeah it's it's really it's kind of a, a weird conversation because, you know, when I was young, my idols were like Alexander McQueen and Vivian Westwood. And I really looked up to these, uh, you know, British designers, English designers. And um, because that's kind of where, where there was power, where there was pull, you know, and you didn't really see, I, I didn't see indigenous designers when I was young. I mean, like maybe we would see, um, you know, in Native American arts magazine, I maybe would see Dorothy Grant every once in a mm. while or, but, I, but I really wanted to be like this high fashion designer, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, and it just wasn't available. And I think that so much of the art, um, of, that is celebrated, that's done by indigenous people is really, really rooted in tradition, which is mm -hmm. so awesome, but it's difficult to see yourself then existing and taking that into the modern world. Mm. and I really I, I distinctly remember this one conversation I was uh like nearing the end of my schooling and my dad said you know oh like why don't you ever use Pendleton fabrics you grew up with it it's from Oregon you know and we had it all Pendleton blankets all over our house we won from like power raffles or like gifting and like even when I graduated high school I was gifted a Pendleton blanket and so it was like a part of you know, just our upbringing, but I was like, oh, no, dad, like, I don't want to be like a native designer, you know, <laughs> like, I want to be a designer who just like happens to be native. Mm -hmm. And, and so now it's really interesting that um, these fabrics have now sort of become a cornerstone of my work. Mm -hmm. And in a way, uh, I say, people um it's a conversation to have because Pendleton is not an indigenous owned brand mm -hmm. but a lot of what I've talked about is that it in a sense it's a way of the reclamation of using those fabrics that are inspired by our traditional work because so many brands who are not native are using those fabrics and patterns that are representative of us and it still is something that's such a strong like pan-indigenous cultural indicator that we use and that is gifted and it's used in ceremony. And um, so so my use of it, I see it as a, as a form of reclamation of saying like, I have history rooted in this. This Pendleton is where I'm from, this, you know, the, what, the Northwest. Um, it's inspired by tribes, so many tribes, you know. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, yeah. That when I first found out that Pendleton wasn't like represented like there's no indigenous people behind Pendleton. I was shocked. I was like, you. I spent some time even supporting that. And so for listeners out there, you know, what is the fine line of how would you even know something is like maybe cultural appropriation? And then there's that fine line of like appreciating um, indigenous uh, fashion and culture. And so, yeah, I guess like how how do you appreciate someone's designs but not appropriate them yeah th this conversation is so incredibly nuanced you know mm -hmm, we can talk totally. about it for forever um 
it's, I mean, like, there's there's some things that are just such, like, vapid cultural appropriation to the point where it makes me sick to my stomach. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see it a lot from people and companies who are really disconnected from, um, like, North America, right? Like, where, where we are. Um, so uh, appropriation is a, is a huge issue. And this is where the conversation of like representation and visibility becomes so important. Mm -hmm. And we talk a lot like me and my friends and other people who are designers about how the use of like social media and the internet in a way has kind of even the playing field because we've been able to amplify our voices, not only as designers, as actual indigenous designers, but to say to see something and say this isn't okay this is Mm -hmm. wrong and this is why and like with within our own communities and our own protocols there's just so much respect that has to be given to one another when we're when we go about making art Mm -hmm. and I was taught when I was young you know you do not copy somebody else's work be it in form line or whatever and it was, it said, like, if you copy somebody, you steal from somebody, you're stealing a part of their soul. Mm. So I, re- I really believe, I really do believe that. But at the same time, like, for example, using Pendleton fabrics, we bring it into like a commerce mentality. I would never sell something that's like traditional work for capital gain. So that's another thing is like, I can use these materials that are inspired by indigenous prints patterns artwork and sell them to all all people because mm-hmm. there's no specific meaning but again it is that reclamation of taking those materials and that what's inspired by that is widely used in indigenous communities and being an indigenous designer and using them yeah i think it's this is like such an important conversation to be having right now because as you know living in a modern day society but being uh staying rooted to our own identity i even toy with that is like okay if i you know make this piece of jewelry is that exploiting you know the teachings or the knowledge that i grew up with and gaining capital off of that teaching so there's such a fine line and you're right it is like completely like nuanced and that's why i think for a long time i was just so in a fear mindset of you know am i going to uh you know piss off the native people am I gonna piss off the like what who am I not going to um like I want to make sure that I'm not creating more harm than good I guess so I always am very mindful of you know what does this art represent to me but is there other things attached to it and so for you living in New York I don't know anything about the fashion industry out there how has it been for you as an indigenous woman to be mindful of these protocols and these practices but also in such like a vast um scene like New York yeah I mean a lot of my work a lot of the work I do within the fashion industry is fighting against the fashion industry um and that's been since I was young you know and I and I think about a lot of the practices um in production that are just so detrimental to nature that fashion is really um, an industry of exploitation uh, it's an industry of extraction, um, you know, vapid consumerism, and and so in that way, I almost hate, I almost have a hatred towards the industry I work mm-hmm. I work in, but at the same time I love clothing as a and as, as an expression, mm-hmm. and um, 
so it's been really interesting, but I think that the, that the narrative is changing now as people are moving towards sustainable initiatives and it's not just becoming something that's like a, like a small little label is doing it. It's like, no, these are initiatives that have to be implemented in order for us to move forward as, as a society as a whole. And yeah, so like that, that work is the most important aspect, yeah. Thank you, hi hi, to our friends at Louvre Design for supporting this episode. As a yoga teacher and a spiritual revolution activist, my whole being is rooted in wellness, but not just of the body and spirit. Protecting indigenous culture means protecting the land we belong to. The fashion industry is one of the most important sources of waste on our planet, but Louvre has set out to prove that sustainable fashion can be the norm. Protecting the planet, the people, and the animals are values most important to Louvre, and I stand firmly behind them. 25% of the pieces are actually made with upcycled fabrics, and the remainder of the fabrics are made with renewable materials like organic cotton, bamboo, modal, and tensile. This is the comfy modern brand you can be proud to wear. Don't forget to visit louvedesign.com, that's L-O-U-V-E design.com, and get free shipping on your next order with the code Shayla Shipping, all one word, at checkout. I feel like there is a shift even on social media right now where there is a lot more talk about sustainability and sustainable fashion. And the one thing I've noticed, though, is there is a lot of voices missing from these conversations. A lot of Indigenous voices are not um, in any of these marketing campaigns. They're not in any of these discussions around sustainability. And so for you, how do you get invited often to speak about sustainability or what is that within, I don't know, the fashion world? Do you feel like they are being um, as accountable and as sustainable as they market themselves to be? You know, this is a difficult conversation because I have so many feelings um, being an Indigenous person in sustainability fields. One where I will ask for calls to action from people who are fighting for climate justice and I get a head tilt and a thank you, you know? And it's like, I, I wasn't saying it for your approval. Um, mm. I'm saying it because I actually want you to recognize that sustainability is an inherently indigenous concept. And like right now, one of the most common buzzwords in sustainability is circularity. We had circularity since time immemorial. We didn't have to have a name for it, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're so, we're so cautious and aware of how we are a part of the world that we live in, right? We don't just walk on it. And that's one thing I've been taught too, is like there is no border between where my body ends and the natural world begins. And I feel that suffocation living in a place like New York because I am so far from my home. And, um, you know, that makes me sad, that does make me sad. But yeah, it's just like, it's really frustrating because we talk so much about representation and visibility and there comes a point where it does turn into tokenism. Mm -hmm. And I feel that a lot. And I feel that in questions that when people reach out, um, reporters reach out to ask me questions, you know, how it, how are indigenous people at the forefront of sustainability? What is the solution? And Mm -hmm. the solution is real, real simple. It's two words, it's land back, 
right? Mm -hmm. That's the Mm -hmm. solution of how we can become more sustainable as a society is give the land back to the original stewards and stop having these people come up and speaking on these panels who are not indigenous using our traditional concepts like they're a new idea. They're Mm -hmm. not a new idea. They've been shut down by industry. They've been pushed aside. I mean, we see it happening right now, you know? Mm -hmm. And, And people think... Oh, you know, circularity is so cool. We got to do this. It's like, well, why the heck haven't you been listening to us? Literally, Mm -hmm. like all these, even in the wellness industry, like all these concepts and all these teachings, I'm like, do you not understand? Like, that's the medicine wheel. Like, this is like this interconnectedness has been around since time immemorial. And you're now just talking about this. Like, I, yeah, it, 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 I do feel like though I okay so I got TikTok <laughs> and TikTok <laughs> does a good job there's actually the younger generation um talking about how a lot of these practices have been appropriated from tribes across the world so I feel like even the younger generation is kind of waking up to how ex- like how stuff has been stripped away from us and exploited and capitalized off of um so what are some you talk you mentioned about tokenism and i can definitely relate to feeling tokenized by brands and corporations and so for you is your intention moving forward in 2021 to work with more brands or do you want to solely focus on your own brand and your own um m studios what does that look like for you i feel like i've actively been taking a little bit of a step back from um a lot of platforms that are offered. Um, I'm I'm so I'm really em- empathetic, so I I feel a lot. I'm also like kind of a total introvert, which is surprising to some people. I spend the majority of my time at home, <laughs> um, so I don't always love uh, you know being a public facing person. But I but I am. Um, but I think like moving forward, I do really want to focus in um, the most important things that I do, which are not in the public eye, which is like uh, reconnecting with my language. I'm taking language classes. And that's another thing like we we touched on indigenous futurisms. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like mm-hmm. I can do that now on Zoom. Like I can mm-hmm. go to like ribbon cutting ceremonies with my tribe on zoom i can do mm-hmm, all these true. amazing things but um yeah it is it's it's um yeah it's hard i really i really think like as a public facing person there's so much emotional labor that goes into it that it becomes exhausting and tiring and people don't understand that when we are are seen sometimes solely as like trauma porn it's Mm -hmm. like really detrimental to our mental health and for Mm -hmm. me to continue to unpack all this emotional labor um and I don't only want to talk about indigenous survival I want to talk about joy and and like what we're doing now and like what we're moving forward and like how important like the youth is and their knowledge and and that and that we exist in the here and now we're not just Mm -hmm. existing in a historical context and yeah, I just, so sometimes I think, you know, just focus on you, but we do have an obligation responsibility to our community as well. And sometimes I think if I don't speak up, then maybe our voice, maybe that voice won't be heard. 
And that's the hardest part, right? Is like, mm -hmm. you're too tired to say anything, but if you don't, then nobody will hear it. No, I, I completely resonate with a lot of things you, you just mentioned. I'm actually an introvert myself and I spend a lot of time alone. I'm a clairsentient, which is like I feel everything. So I need to like purify and cleanse my energy. And I do feel like um, like exactly what you're saying. There's a lot of emotional labor. And also I'm just tired of repeating the same history and the same trauma that's affected me and my family. I'm like, okay, why don't we balance this out with bringing up our success and our joys and what we like to celebrate and our tra traditions and our teachings too. Like they're so powerful in, in that sense as well. Um, and so there's been a lot of talk online about sustainability and there's also been a lot of talk about decolonization. And so do you feel like when it comes to the fashion industry, is it even possible to decolonize uh, your closet or to decolonize a fashion industry that has been so exploitive? Uh, no, <laughs> I don't <laughs> I'm gonna say no. I, I don't think you can decolonize the fashion industry because it's a fashion industry, right? So people use this word and it's so, it's, it's a great, it's a great word, right? But when we get into the use of semantics, it gets really complicated because we have like three second attention spans now. And, uh, and it's really about creating this conversation, but decolonization at the end of the day is about land, right? Mm -hmm. So it's about land. So you can't decolonize your clothing. You can't decol it. Like it's like that's not what it's about. It's about land. It's about giving land back. It's about stopping, uh, you know, the exploitation of resources. It's about, I mean, it's about so many things. But it's not about uh, using it as a marketing tactic in order to gain mm -hmm. capital. In fact, that's the exact opposite of what decolonization is: is to not is to stop gaining capital mm -hmm. off of extraction of resources. So, so no, I, I think when people use decolonization in fashion, it's simply for a marketing tactic, mm -hmm. which I find to be, um, you know, just terrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's why I like was super hesitant on using the word decolonize because I felt like it just like blew up and then it really lost um, its meaning and it's like what it actually represents. Um, I know you do a lot of work when it comes to I believe you sit on the board of the slow factory. Is that correct? Uh, when did you when, how did you get involved with that? I've been following them on Instagram for a little bit and they always post, you know, really educational content. Um, how did you get involved with the slow factory? Yeah, um, you know, I really owe a lot of my successes to um, uh, uh, incredible women and femme-identifying people, non-binary people who are in my community, and uh, a friend, Marina, who is working at the UN, she's Tewa, um, knew Celine Simon, who runs the Slow Factory, and uh, recommended me to be on a panel that was actually uh, in London. And I jumped on a call with Celine, who's uh, Lebanese, and uh, we had an incredible conversation. And she invited me to come sit on a panel in uh, London, which was so crazy. I'd never been there before. You know, I don't, I don't get to travel as much as I would love to. And it was an amazing opportunity. And I think that uh, my voice and what I spoke to 
um, kind of rang out pretty loud there because I, I mm-hmm. as like a person who is indigenous or identifies as First Nation and, and then talking to uh, people in London, man, that was like a great, that was a really cool opportunity. Um, what was the panel and, about? Uh, it was about, yeah, sustainability in, in fashion and just like how, how we, um, you know, what we do in our practices and whatever. And, and I just uh, kind of, you know, my goal is to always uh, bring uh, this indigenous perspective to these conversations, which is something that is wasn't really being had. But again, to say, you know, these concepts are not new. They are inherently indigenous concepts. Sustainability is an inherently indigenous concept. And that respect needs to be given where where it, mm-hmm. it needs to be placed. Um, so that was my first interaction with them. And and uh, we just, we they're incredible, you know, thinkers and and we just continued to have these conversations and they continued to reach out to me to jump on board um, for things. And so it's been like two years now that I've been working with them. And then just this year, I think I've been sitting on the board. Um, and it is, it's an educational platform, which is something that's really important for me in my work because I can't just make clothes, right? I, I, there's also an, an educational element into the work that I do and the ethics and morals that I have and that level of transparency that I believe in sharing with mm-hmm. people um yeah what does what does your process look like when it comes to designing a piece of clothing i i have a lot of different ideas you know sometimes i'm inspired by words sometimes i'm inspired by a mountain sometimes mm-hmm. i'm inspired by music more often than not i'm inspired by music um music is my number one most important thing in my life you know that's really mine and uh, uh, my dad played guitar when I was growing up and uh, we listen to music all the time at home and so sometimes I'll sit and I'll hear a song and I'll see the fashion show in my Mm. head you know I'll see it walking Mm -hmm. down a runway and I'll just like it'll build itself before I even get down to a piece of paper it's already built in my head Um, you know and so that's kind of my my biggest way of creating and then it's about uh getting it down to a tangible object mm-hmm. which i do with my own two hands which i don't mm-hmm. want to do i don't love sewing <laughs> Actually, no surprisingly no. <laughs> no i don't i don't love sewing i don't enjoy sewing but it's a means to an end right it's how i get the ideas out of my brain yeah 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 totally um all your pieces are super beautiful. What, how, how do you maintain, you know, sustainability within your own fashion uh, line and within your own work? Yeah, I, um, you know, one of my goals is to only work with all natural materials, and that goes into like the biodegradation of something, uh, the dyes that go into it, and the impact that they'll have on once they start breaking down. Because it's not just about thinking about the creation of an object it's also thinking about the end cycle right so the end of life cycle of it and how and how it goes back into the earth i have a poster behind me that says what you make goes into the earth as either uh, food or poison Mm, and i think mm -hmm. about that a lot as i'm designing so like right now we're moving into spring and a lot of the stuff that i am a lot of the materials i'm working with i work a lot with wool um, mm-hmm. And I really try to talk about wool as something that's a multi-seasonal use, and people think about it often as something that can only be worn in the winter. But 
it's such a magical material and um you know it's really breathable so it really is seasonless and uh, mm -hmm. if you think about so you know you, you want to wear something that's all natural as i get older it, i'm more comfortable in natural fibers my body mm. feels more free and breathable where if i have something on that that's like polyester like my body can feel that you know mm -hmm. and it's like i'm just always uncomfortable at like pulling at my clothes and but anyway, so yeah, going to spring collection, we're doing spring wools. We're doing uh, like cradle to cradle wools, which is, um, you know, just talking about the production process of the garment, of the fabrics itself, not right, not even before it turns into a garment. So just like the production practices of the fabrics and how ethical that is alone. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, all, yeah, all no, that's right. Everything's made I... in house. Everything's made to order. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, for people that are listening and want to create a more like um, want to commit to creating a more sustainable life through fashion, what would your advice or tips be? I'd say be cautious because sustainability is not something that you can buy. Right. And um, it's said that the most sustainable object in your wardrobe is the one that's already in your closet. And this is exactly why I'm a terrible business person, <laughs> because I cannot market sustainability. Um, sustainability is a practice that I choose to implement into my business. It's not something that I can sell to you. Mm -hmm. This past year, 2020, has been so hard and difficult on everyone and also everyone's work. Um, and so how was 2020 for you living in New York? I'm actually just genuinely curious because New York kind of got like everything all at once. And what do you have moving forward uh, coming into 2021? Yeah, uh, the last year was a really interesting transformative year for me. Um, uh, I think in a way I feel a little bit of guilt because um, I did pretty well. And um, I could have done, I could have been um, pretty devastated as well. I, uh, uh, before, it's been a year now that I haven't been behind a bar, but I used to work uh, nights at mm. a bar just to supplement my income because, um, you know, my income is not very stable. And even working at a bar, I use that term stable very loosely. But in New York, you kind of have to do the hustle, right, to just survive. Mm -hmm. I used to say it costs $50 to cross the street here. <laughs> but um, I have now not been behind a bar in over a year, and I am so grateful and thankful for that. And I feel it in my body. My health is so much mm -hmm. better. My sleep schedule is so much better. And a lot of that was due to the fact that I had started making face masks before the pandemic even hit, mm -hmm. which was really a strange kind of turn of events. So the face mask uh, I had designed because it was right at the height of us doing uh, wet suet in protests. Um, the wet suet and the coastal gas and pipeline protests. Um, and so I was like, oh, I had scrap material from a coat that I had made. I was like, oh, I'll just make a face mask. That's a good idea. I took a picture of it, put it on Instagram. Everyone's like, I need one, I need one, I need one, I need one. I was like, all right, cool. I'll start making them. So I started making them. And then all of a sudden this pandemic hit and this face mask took on a completely new life. And it was like selling out like crazy. And I'm sitting by just one person behind my sewing machine, mm. like, oh my God. But I'm so grateful and thankful that I had another source of revenue mm -hmm. during that time. Because the thing is like, in the past year, we have not only been surviving a pandemic, 
We're trying to survive capitalism during a pandemic. And that's where the hurt really comes in, right? Mm -hmm. Is that people and our resources and like what's available to us has been so difficult. And also living in New York, like I am very lucky that uh, I have delivery, that Mm -hmm. I live in a, in a resource heavy place where Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't have that. If I had gotten ill, if I'd fallen ill, I have a place to go and a lot of people don't have that. So um, it, I think there's a little bit of guilt. I yeah. feel that. Yeah. But a lot of gratitude as well. I remember, I remember being on my couch one day and I waited for your drop and I didn't get one of those masks because they went like, like everyone was on them. They're buying them like instantly. Um, yeah. <laughs> which was like, which was awesome to see, but I was like, dude, I'm just trying to get a mask over here in Canada. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's cold over here too. <laughs> um, I know we kind of touched on this earlier in the conversation, but if you were to define indigenous futurism, what does that look like to you? Yeah. Oh, you know, I mean... Again, we talk about how indigenous indigenous people are so stuck in this historical context that sometimes I feel like we're fighting just to be seen here and now. But uh, futurism is really, to me, it's about like autonomy and sovereignty. It's about visibility. Um, It's about celebration and joy. Um, God, I have so much hope when I see what the youth are doing, it's like, Mm -hmm. I'm so grateful for their work and their ability to see it, the bigger picture and, and really fight um, for something that's really meaningful, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and now that we have these incredible connections, um, albeit they are uh, not always like the best, which is our social media, but even now, like you and I are about 3,000 miles apart and we get to have a conversation face-to-face. That's pretty neat. Mm-hmm. And um, our chains of connection are are unbreakable, you know? I mean, you think about like our trade lines were so vast mm-hmm. and it's just a new, uh, it's the future of that, right? Of totally. Of to share. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was one of the reasons why I wanted to create Matriarch Movement because I, there, I saw a lack of Indigenous women seen in like, a positive way I feel like the mainstream media always highlights indigenous women from a state of vulnerability from a state of lack or not at all and so when you hear the word matriarch what does the word matriarch mean to you yeah matriarch is like to me it's like a moral power you know it's really about love and care um It's, again, that ability to see the bigger picture, to Mm -hmm. see how everything is interconnected, um, to bring people together. I think about matriarchs in my life. Um, Somebody who's been really important to me recently is a language director through my tribe, and she's been actively reaching out to people who are not... um, connected connected on the land like at this moment just to check in with everyone and and I think that's like such a sign of a matriarch is somebody who holds a community together right there the Mm -hmm. glue that makes sure that we're all doing okay that we're all doing well and um seeing seeing not just you know what's in your own view but being able to see Mm -hmm. like everyone else and how 
how everything is affected and we talk about seven generations in the future and preparing for that actively preparing for that yeah uh how can people support you and your work um yeah support you you and your work all the work that you're doing with the slow factory with your new line yeah i mean you can buy my stuff (laughs) it's uh emmystudios.com emme studios.com and then um you know i also work uh within the collective uh that's based here on monopoly hoking called the indigenous kinship collective and we do a lot of work in mutual aid um and so you can go to at indigenous kinship collective on instagram and that can link you to where you can donate um we have actively been redistributing funds during this whole pandemic um and so that's a lot of the work that i do that's not always uh in the forefront i mean that takes up a lot of a lot of a lot of my time which is which is the good work right that's the work Mm -hmm. that we want to be doing awesome well thank you so much for your time here uh today and i'm super excited to see your next uh line drop i'm gonna have to like turn on post notifications for your account so i don't miss out uh make sure you follow um i'll drop all your handles here as well um yeah thank you so much and i'm inspired to see the rest of your work come out yeah thank you so much boy f (laughs) judd hi hi (laughs) 